in the next muhadara inshallah ta'ala uh, for now i will invite questions on this mawdu on this topic firstly if there are no questions on this mawdu then any other questions inshallah First of all, I want to confirm what you said regarding the, the translation. I was uh, reading a, a Quran which is translated in Yao. No. And when they reached on, uh, that is Surat Al-Fatiha, Malik Yawmiddin. No. If you read the translated, it doesn't even equal to Malik Yawmiddin. So there, I just wanted to confirm what you said. Now, uh, reading through this hadith, it has got a number of points, where it starts from and where it ends. No. So I was trying to compare with the other hadith that we've so far done. No. It starts with a theme and then ends like with a lesson. No. So I was trying to figure out what's the theme in this hadith. Well, there are so many topics covered. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, the theme of the hadith. If you observe, the Messenger وسلم, has given advice on amalus salih, the importance of righteous good deeds, and he mentions the reward of those good deeds. He starts وسلم, with the importance of tawheed and the importance of tahara. Then after that, he speaks وسلم, about the importance of dhikr. Then after that, he is going to speak وسلم, about the importance of salah. Then after that, he is going to speak about the uh, importance of sadaqah. Then he is going to speak about the importance of sabr. Then after that, Rasulullah is going to speak about the importance of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, its recitation and understanding. Then after that, he is going to speak about uh, purifying our hearts. So if we were to summarize the hadith and say, what does the hadith speak about? It speaks about fadailul a'mal. It speaks about what? Fadailul a'mal, the excellence of good deeds and their rewards. It's, uh, it's question time. Uh, the two terms, uh, you, you're going to finish them in the next mother or because you just said uh, how, but you didn't say what they meant, the difference between the two. Yeah, I was, I was looking at the time. I wanted us to restrict ourselves to at least 30, 30 something minutes without making them hadara too long. So inshallah ta'ala will pick up from exactly where we left off today by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. and Maliki Yawmiddin. These two phrases and their qira'at has a lot of significance. That's why the qira'at are an integral part they are part and parcel of the tafsir of the Qur'an. In fact, it's much more like an extension 
of the explanation of an ayah. When you understand it in one qira'ah and read it in another qira'ah, the other qira'ah gives you a broader meaning. Maliki yawmiddin, Maliki comes from Malaka yamliku. He is the owner. Mathalan yamliku sayyara. He has a car. Yamliku keda. He has such and such. So Maliki yawmiddin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the possessor, the owner of the day of judgment. But lest some people might think, even if he is the owner of the day of judgment, he is going to deputize someone else to be in charge on the day of judgment. The other qira'ah makes that clear. Maliki yawmiddin, he is the king of the day of judgment. Because being the possessor and being the king are two different things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could be the owner of the day of judgment and he might give the charge to someone else to be the king on the day of judgment. But when you say Maliki Yawmiddin, we understand he is the possessor, the owner of the day of judgment. And when you say Maliki Yawmiddin, the king of the day of judgment, then we know no one else is, is going to have anything on the day of judgment apart from Allah. And this Maliki Yawmiddin is supported by the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Yawma la yamliku nafsun li the day when no soul is going to possess anything for anyone else, Wal-amru, the command, yawma, is the issue on that day, lillah, is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the way the Quran works, and that's the way the qira'at works. The qira'at are like an expansion, an insight, a deeper insight into, into the ayah. I don't know if that's what you found in the Yaw translation of the, of the Quran. Uh, I was present when that, when that Quran was, uh, was translated, but I could not contribute because I don't know Yao. Yeah, it was done actually at the Islamic University of Medina by uh, uh, some brilliant students from Malawi. Alhamdulillah. Um, Sheikh, yesterday you, 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 you grouped uh, the Jews and the Christians together with the, the kufar. Yes. So my, my question goes back to the issue of marrying them. Um, how does that relate well when, if, if they are kufar and then you are permitted to marry them? How does that? Uh... Yeah. Um, I said kafir. Kafir is a general term. It applies to anyone who's not a Muslim. Anyone who's not a Muslim is a kafir. A Jewish person is a kafir. A Christian is a kafir. A pagan is a kafir. Everyone who doesn't believe in Allah is a kafir. Well, kufru milla wahidan, kufru is one group. This is a general term. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divides the kufar. He divides them into groups, some uh, uh, very, very bad kufar and some whose kufr is not, not very bad and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them different rules. For this type of kufar, these are the rules and this is how you, you relate to them. And this group of kufar, these are the rules and this is how you relate to them. And this other group, these are the rules and this is how you relate to them. So for the Jews and the Christians, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created special rules for them 
on how we're supposed to relate with them and how we're supposed to live with them. And among those rules is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permitted us their food and he permitted us their women, but that doesn't make them Muslims. They remain kuffar, but they have their own special rules and other kuffar also have their rules. For the other kuffar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed us how to, to relate with them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us we're not supposed to marry their women and we're not supposed to eat their food. So kufr is kufr, but there is specification and each group of kuffar has special rules that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us on how to treat them. But if one asks you, this is a Christian, uh, is this a kafir or a Muslim? What do you say? Kafir. He's a kafir. If a person leaves Islam and joins uh, uh, Christianity, what do we say? Kafara. Alright? Kafara. Are we supposed to say, no, don't call him a kafir. He became a Christian. Yeah, kafara. He's, he's gone out of Islam, so he's, he's a kafir. So anyone who's not a Muslim is a kafir. I want to ask, we were discussing with one of the brothers here. Um, I want to find out, it's not that I want to, to degrade him or... To embarrass him, no, no, absolutely no, no, not. After no. all, we don't even know him. No, no. Um, we were talking about uh, Salah. If, if you are praying behind the Imam and it's a loud Salah, maybe Fajr or uh, Maghrib and Isha, mm. is that Fatiha? which the Imam re reads, not enough for, for the people he's leading. What I mean is, do the people behind him are supposed to read Fatiha after he finishes? Yes, when the Imam finishes the Salah, read Surah Al-Fatiha. I mean, when he finishes the Surah Al-Fatiha, you read Surah Al-Fatiha as, as well. Okay. Even if the, the Salah is, is a loud Salah. When he says, you also read your uh, uh, Surah Al-Fatiha after the, after the Imam. No. Although it's, uh, it's a point of difference between the scholars, but my advice to you is read Surah Al-Fatiha after the, the Imam, uh, if you're praying behind an Imam. If you ask me, is the Salah of a person who didn't read Surah Al-Fatiha uh, behind an Imam in a loud Salah valid, I would say yes, the Salah is valid. But for a person who uh, stands behind the Imam in a Salah like Dhuhr and Asr and doesn't read Surah Al-Fatiha, is the Salah valid? Invalid. Uh, there is a Muslim woman who asked a question. Uh, she said the husband does this ukuboka. Um, I don't know what you say that. Mm -hmm. Now the money obviously arises from that. She was told you cannot offer it in sadaka. No. So the question was, how does she resolve that problem? Uh, if if she's sure that the, the money that the husband is giving her is the same money which comes from haram, then obviously that money is not supposed to be used in sadaqah, but it's shubha, because I don't think that's the husband's only source of income. He has other sources of income. So how to differentiate which one is from the haram business and which one is from the halal business becomes a mas'ala of, of shubha, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not want to make deen difficult for us. We all have, you know, guardians who have different types of business. Some of the businesses are halal. Some of them might not be very, very halal. As far as we are concerned, the money they're bringing home is not the money from the, the haram business until we have dalil which shows 
without doubt that the money is haram money. In that case, then we're not supposed to use that money. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallahumma, bihamdi, gana shadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiru kama natubu ilayk. Subhanallah, rabbika rabbi lidha hamma yisafun wa salamun ala musaleem. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.